Good morning. It's good to be with you all this, evening, this morning. And uh, very much appreciate the brothers leading us in worshiping the one and only who is worthy of all our worship. When I told uh, my children that I'm going to share word on January 1st, one of my daughters warned me that, you better be good, Dad. Uh, I think from that admonition, I take it that if I not good, I may set the bad precedent for the year. <laughs> so no pressure there. So the resolution, that word, might evoke lots of reactions in us. It may vary from excitement, encouragement, to indifference, to disappointments of past resolutions, or discouragement, or downright rejection. But today, whatever may be your opinions about resolutions, but I'm going to submit to you a resolution that I believe we ought to make. That's a big claim, isn't it? <laughs> Which requires substantive backing. So that's what we're going to do today. If you take my word on it, you might say, what is it that we are talking about? And you may say, what, what's so important, important about it? Or if you take one step further, you may ask, what's the result of that resolution? And what's the guarantee or surety of that resolution? Or if you take one more step, if you are a, a person of action, you may say, okay, let's, what do we do? What do we need to do? So that would be our uh, probably thought process. I hope we will all get to the last one, but before that we need to discuss a few things. So for that, may you please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. As you turn there, let me give you a brief background and set what's so important about this, the magnitude of the, uh, the resolution that we are going to talk about. See, in AD 49, Claudius was emperor of Rome. And he marries Agrippina the Anger in AD 49. And by that time, she had a little boy uh, called Claudius uh, Domitius uh, Ahino Barbus. And after marriage, he adopts the son and he changes his name. And the name of that boy from then onwards is Nero. So he becomes emperor afterwards at the age of 17 in the midst of schemes, plots, and killings. And after he became emperor, because he was so angry, he relied on the advices of uh, the, the Burrus, the head of the uh, Praetorian Guard. Or the, in those days, there was a famous Stoic philosopher, Seneca. So he relied on their advice. So the initial years of his reign, emperor, empire, was relatively good and peaceful. And during that time, Paul comes to Rome. Oh, sorry, Paul writes a letter to the Rome, and then later on, he was arrested in Jerusalem and then brought to Rome. 
And after that, Peter also comes to Rome. And in AD 63, approximately, he writes this letter to the saints scattered all over the regions in that part of the world. And then he writes them, encouraging them, exhorting them to stand firm in their faith. So typically we think that, okay, if everything is calm and going nice and peaceful, so what's the importance of this, this exhortation? From the vantage point, we can look back into the history and, and realize that on July 19th, AD 64, there was a fire started in the southern quarters of the city of Rome. It raged for seven days, burning almost nearly everything in the southern part of the Rome. And then it extended to the northern part of that city, and for the next seven days, in, approximately in two weeks, it burned the entire city down. And Nero blamed Christians for that. That unleashed tremendous persecutions and trials on Christians. He skinned their alive. He threw them to the wild beast. He dipped them in the oil and hanged them on the poles and burned them alive and used them as torches for his parties. And for their amusement, they threw them into the arena to be bored and killed and then attacked by the wild beast. God knows that. That's why the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write these words approximately a year before those things took place. And these are important things that sustain them to persevere in their faith. Fire burned down the Rome, but persecutions could not disturb the hope of believers. What was that that they had so that we too can have it? And if we can have it, no matter what happens in the coming year, difficult times, challenging circumstances, health struggles, job issues, financial issues, whatever may be the case, or even persecution for our faith, the hope that sustained them, if we can have latch on to it, that would sustain us too. So that, that's what we are going to look at. So what is, that, what is the resolution that I am talking about? So let's look at chapter 1 of Peter, verse 13. Chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, he is now concluding his previous discussion. And this conclusion is actually the thesis statement for this entire letter. And, the, and what he says here is prepare your minds. 
or gird up the loins of your minds, or resolve in your minds, make this resolution in your minds. Now, what is that resolution that he is talking about? He goes on to say, fix your hope completely. Fix your hope completely. That verb is an imperative verb. It's a command that was given to us. That's why it is we ought to make this resolution. We have to make this resolution in order to be stand firm in our faith. And that hope completely, he says, totally, entirely on that hope. So entire, every aspect of our life we must fix on that hope. What is that hope? on grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The grace, it is the intervention of God into a situation where the hopeless situation and then performing only He can do and to bring about change that only He alone can do. Now, what is that He is going to do that we must fix on it? That would be our first question. What is this hope? And Peter, in the same letter, chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. This hope is a living hope. It's not a wishful thinking, oh, it may or may not happen, but it is alive. It's a living hope that it abides and it remains till the end. Now, what is this living hope? In verse 4, he says, to obtain an inheritance. The hope to have to obtain an inheritance. Now, what is that inheritance he is talking about? That we can fix our hope on it. And for that, we can take help from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And then here, if we read like this, Ephesians chapter 1. And verse 11, he says like this, and also we have obtained inheritance. How did we obtain that inheritance? Having been predestined, predestined according to his purpose. So we are going to obtain this inheritance because God predestined us to that inheritance. Now, to what end did he predestine? So chapter 1, verse 3 or 5, it reads like this. He predestined us to what? To adoption as sons. To adoption as sons. The way we obtain inheritance is because God adopted us as his children. He predestined us to that adoption. Let me take you through a few verses to, to expound and expand on this. You see, in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 onwards, we read like this. For as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of 
adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. How do we obtain the inheritance? Because God has made us his children and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So what is this hope that we are fixing our eyes on? To have that end, that to be children of God, our co-heirs and fellow heirs with Christ. That is the hope on which we must fix our eyes on. Romans 8, 23. And not only this, but we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for our adoption as sons and the redemption of our body. For in hope we, are, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. So what are we eagerly wait, waiting for it in hope? The adoption as sons. See, in further down in the same chapter, we read like this. Not only God adopted us as his sons, but what he is doing is he is conforming us. He is transforming us into the image and the likeness of his son. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become confirmed to the image of his son. That is the hope we must fix on. That is the hope we must latch on to completely that one day we will be like him. The same thing in First John, he says like this, see how great a love the Father has given to us. That we would be called children of God. And we are. We are children of God. We know that when he is manifested, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him. This hope fixed on him, that one day when we see him just as he is, we will be like him. That is the hope, dear brothers and sisters, that we must fix completely on that. And how God is going to do that? He is going to do that through his grace. By his grace, he is going to accomplish that. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 7, we read like this. We are saved and called with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which he has given us in Christ Jesus. When did he give us? From all eternity, from, from, from the past, 
not only he has begun this plan and purposes from the beginning of the creation, he is doing from that on time onwards till the time we reach that goal. Now, that's good. That's very nice. Wonderful. But what's the guarantee of attaining that? What's the guarantee that we would reach that end? What's the assurance that we will be like that? That we need to talk about, right? The more we are assured of that end, the more we are convinced of that end, the more we grow in that conviction, that would result in our actions in our lives. So for the next few minutes, I would like to take you through the means of it or the, the motivations that we can have so that we can set or fix our hope completely on that result or that outcome. So first reason is this. Peter says in chapter 1, verse 1, like this, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and he says, who are chosen? First of all, we can be sure of this end because we are chosen by God. Chosen, when did God choose us? Ephesians chapter 1, Paul explains to us, he chose us before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. This selection is not based on what we do or when we do those things. It is completely, entirely based on God's sovereign choice that he did before the foundation of the world. On what basis did he choose? Did he choose by looking through the tunnel of time and figuring out, okay, this guy does better, this person is going to do well, so I'm going to pick this person and that person? No, not at all. Peter says, he, we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Foreknowledge of God the Father. What, what does this foreknowledge mean? See, in the same chapter, verse 20, this is what we read. For he, that is Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. That doesn't mean that God looked through the tunnel of time and chose Christ. No, he was with him from the beginning. So what does it even mean then, foreknown then? It does not mean that he looked through the time and picked, but it means something different. For that to understand, we need to see how this, one, this particular phrase was used in the Scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, this is what we read. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, uh, verses uh, 14 and 15. Behold, the Lord your God. To him belongs heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. God did not choose us because he is desperate and he cannot have anything else other than choosing you and me. He is Yahweh, self-existent God. He doesn't depend on anything else apart from him for his existence. And to him, everything belongs to him. Yet, yet, he, 
What did he do? Set his affection to love on your forefathers. And he chose you. This foreknowledge means God setting his affections. God setting his heart on his chosen ones. And to what? To love them. And to love them. So in Ephesians chapter 1, in love, what did he do? He predestined us to the adoption as sons. To a particular goal. That goal is for us to have that adoption as children of God. You see, the implications of that, think about the implications of it. He did that when? Before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? That means whatever the purpose that God has for you and me, nothing in this creation can alter it. Nothing that came into existence can thwart the design and the purpose of God. That should motivate us. That should give us assurance of this particular outcome of that hope. That's why we read like this in Romans chapter 8. Who will separate us from the love? He set his affection on you to love. And who can separate us from that love of Christ? Will affliction, turmoil, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sort of anything else, can they separate us from the love of God? No matter what is going to happen in the year to come and the years to come, nothing can separate us from that love of Christ. That's why Paul goes on to say, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, whatever things that were came into existence after making that choice can alter the decision of God. Not things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. Any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. You see, the assurance of that hope that one day we will be confirmed to the image of his son. We will be transformed into the likeness of his son. Is entirely based on God's choice that he made before anything came into existence. Nothing can alter that purpose of God. Not only that, we are not only chosen by God, we are caused to be born again. In chapter three, verse, chapter 1, verse 3, he says, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again. Has caused us to be born again. Because sometimes we may think, yeah, God has a great plan, but in Adam we sinned and messed up the plan entirely. There goes the hope. No, not at all. God knows that predicament. That's why in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when Adam and Eve sinned, God promised them of a deliverer. Right there. It is as if before the foundation of the world, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit communing together, and God the Father says, this is my plan, and God the Son says, I'm going to do it, whatever it takes. 
to accomplish that plan. How did he do that? He became flesh and tabernacled among us, full of grace and truth. Not only the God's grace, he, by grace he came into this world, but also he did something. You see, because of our sin, he took upon himself, he took our place, he substituted us, and then took our, the punishment that is supposed to come upon us to, on himself. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, what is he going to do with that offering? He will see his offspring. He will see his seed. He will see his children. Not only he came into this world to offer sacrifice to, in order to save us, in order to redeem us from that. You see, in Hebrews chapter 2, we read like this. He became a little lower than angels and participated in flesh and blood. And he suffered, do you know why? So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for us. The Son of God, by His grace, He made a way for us to be redeemed from the predicament. And not only that, by grace, through faith, we are saved. And God caused us to be born again, to be when we sinned in Adam, we acquired the nature of sin, but God caused us to be born again so that we are made alive again. He caused us to be born again. He saved us by His grace. God the Father has purposed for us to reach that end. God the Son has prepared a way for us to reach that end. Now, what else is going on? See, in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verse 5, we may say that, you know, God has a wonderful plan. What if, if I mess up? What if, if I lose it? What if, if I drop the ball? God knows that, how powerful we are. In fact, we, if, if he gives us, okay, now I, I have saved you, now, now you got to do everything, whatever it takes to get to the heaven, we will fail utterly and miserably. So what God is doing in order to fulfill his purposes and plans, he says, it says, who are protected by the power of God and to receive that inheritance. Who are protected by the power of God, 
because he is reserved he, he he reserved that inheritance in heaven and he is protecting us so that we will get there and to obtain that inheritance that power the same power of god worked in lord jesus christ when he was on earth in his, in in raising him from the dead and making him to ascend to the heaven and to be seated at the right hand of god that same power is working in us you are chosen by god caused to be born again and being preserved by the power of god to receive that inheritance is that enough for us to be sure about that end let's look at few more reasons not only god the father god the son has done that god the holy spirit spoke through prophets from the beginning how god is going to accomplish this all the way to the end through the prophets and when they not only they were anticipating this particular goal this particular end or the glories to follow even angels were eagerly looking into it now think for a moment like this god the father has tied his reputation for us reaching that goal god the son has tied his reputation for us to reach that goal god the holy spirit has tied his reputation for us to reach that goal does that of give us assurance of reaching that end reaching that goal not only that the hope of the saints of the past is tied for us reaching that end all of them in hebrews chapter 11 we read like this he talks about the heroes of faith from Abraham and everyone Enoch and before every one of them they all looking forward for something they are hoped for something they they have faith which is assurance of hope on something that's going to happen in the future but do you know something that all this having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised they did not receive what was promised why because god has provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect no matter how righteous they were apart from us they would not be made perfect their if i use this term their fate is tied to us reaching that goal not only that the entire cosmos is hoping on that you see in romans chapter 8 we read like this for i consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us for 
angst, for the anxious longing of the creation. The entire creation is anxiously waiting and longing for something. What is that? It is eagerly waiting as if standing on its tiptoe and looking intently for something. What is that? For the revealing of the sons of God. Entire cosmos has its hope tied on the revelation of the sons of God. Now think for a moment, what happens if we do not reach, if God does not succeed in taking us to that end? There is no hope for the creation, no hope for the saints of the past, the reputation of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is damaged completely. Would that ever happen? If you say that would never happen, then your end, your goal, your destination is absolutely secure. That is the hope we must fix on. There may be some here who may be wondering, I don't have that hope. I'm not sure about it. You too can have that hope today. For as many as received Lord Jesus Christ, coming to him just as you are, bringing all your sins to him, confessing before him, and receive him as Lord and Savior, do you know what God does? To them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. That hope is still available for you if you haven't put your trust in Christ Jesus. You too can have the right to become children of God. I would pray that you, you do not pass on this. Today may be the day of salvation. Turn to him. Submit to him. And you can have this hope in this hopeless world. If we are convinced of that assurance of that hope, now what should we do with that? In 1 Peter chapter 1, 13, Prepare your minds. Resolve in your minds. Make this resolution for action. Demonstrate that hope. Demonstrate that hope in, in our lives. We must demonstrate that hope in all our behaviors. And how do we demonstrate that? Primarily in two ways. One toward God and another toward all the people around us. Toward God, how do we demonstrate that hope? See in verse 14 and 15. As obedient children, as obedient children or children of obedience. You see, God has eliminated all the excuses that we can make. 
we usually make excuses like, you know, you have no clue about the upbringing that I had. You know, where I grew up, it's not that easy to trust or to have faith or to follow Christ that easily. You don't know my, my background, my life, and all kinds of stuff. God eliminated that excuse entirely because do you know why? He caused us to be born again, to have a nature, an obedient nature. We are children of obedience now. In Christ, we are made new. All things passed away. All things have become new. So we cannot give any excuses not to be like this. The only reason we may not demonstrate this hope because we may not be assured of that hope. But if we are convicted of that, if we are confident in that hope, if we are convinced of that hope, we would demonstrate that every aspect of our life. And he says, how do we do that? Do not be conformed to the former lust, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy also in all your behavior. You shall be holy as I am holy. Let me help you bring to your remembrance these words so that which would help us to understand that. In Matthew chapter 5, on the sermon, uh, in the sermon on the Mount, Jesus says like this, You have heard this, that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why must we do that? Why must we behave like that? So that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. Therefore, you ought to be perfect as your whole heavenly Father is perfect. We are being transformed, conformed into the likeness of Son, likeness or image of His Son. We, if that is the end, we must exhibit that now, right? We must demonstrate that. How do we do that? By imitating into whose image we are being transformed into. To be like Christ. To be like God. Not only that, Peter goes on to say, you ought to love one another. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervent love one another from the heart. Do you remember Jesus gave us a command? You, are, you have to love one another just as I have loved you. So that love that he is talking about is the love of God which is sincere love. That means it, it, it actually, uh, that love with no, any kind of uh, uh, hypocrisy or anything, pretense, but a sincere love. And not only that, it is a fervent love. That means that love goes to any extent, whatever it takes. 
and from the depth of your heart. Now we may wonder, we may ask, you know, that's impossible. Those words, you know, are there, but it's practically, it's not possible. But do you know, dear brothers and sisters, God gave us everything necessary to live godly life in this world. He has poured his love on our hearts so that we can exhibit that, demonstrate that, manifest that in this world. And not only that, he also has given us something else. You see, the word of God was so powerful that it transformed us. We received faith by the hearing of the word of God. God's word changed us and saved us. And it has a power in it to transform us. And that word endures forever. And that word is available to us even now. And that word has not lost its power. So Peter says, long for that word. If we are sure of the hope, the end that we are going to be, then we must demonstrate that hope by longing for the word which transforms us. Not only individually, Peter goes on to tell us that how we can demonstrate this hope corporately. So here we see God saved us individually, but brought us together and into a body of Jesus Christ. So we are living stones. We are, God made us a living stones. And not only that, God gave, what did he do? He made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a people for God's own position, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. If we are sure that we are going to be like him, then should we not proclaim the excellencies of the God who is going to bring us to that end? That is exactly how, why God chose Israelites in the Old Testament, so that they may be also like a, a, a priesthood and a holy nation for what? To demonstrate the hope that they have in the God that they are carrying forward in the wilderness into the promised land. And we, if we are sure of that hope, we demonstrate that hope in the body of Christ through the proclamation of excellencies of God. You see, as we proclaim His excellencies, as we demonstrate this hope in this world, people would be observing us. People would be paying attention to who we are and what we are. And that is the reason we are the hope in this world. The, hope does, the world does not have any other hope. We are the hope of this world. So we must demonstrate that hope in the society where we live. So Peter says, submit to a, a government or to authorities and institutions. Why must we do that? 
Oh, because we are scared of them or afraid of them? No, not at all. Then why do we do that? Because all the governments, all the uh, rulers of this world are ordained by God himself. Appointed by God himself. And if we are being transformed into his likeness, should we not then honor the decisions he makes? Then we must accept, acknowledge, and submit to the institutions that God has placed. Of course, it is not to the extent that uh, in any, uh, with, without any exceptions, even Peter, when he was brought to the Sanhedrin, he, he told the leaders of those days that we must obey, not you. That means if the government exceeds its power, of course we have to obey God. The reason why we are honoring govern, uh, governments or authorities is because we honor God first. We fear God first. That is how we demonstrate our hope in this world. Not only in the church, but also in the society, we demonstrate that hope in the workplace too. You see, when Peter brings about all these practical instructions and actions that we need to take, he uses very extreme examples in this case. For example, he says, not only good and gentle, but also unreasonable employers. And before that, he brings about the emperor. Do you know the Nero? He was not a very kind and gentle person because of his paranoia about uh, the schemings and the plots around him, he kills his own mother. And then he kills his stepbrother. And he kills his advisor, Burrus. And he makes a Seneca, who was the philosopher, causes him to commit suicide. He was not a kind person. Then why God is, or through Peter, commanding us to submit? Because we honor God. We honor God. That's why we honor whatever the order he sets. Just like even in the employment situation, why must we obey to our employers or do all these things? He brings up this example. That example is, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. That is the example we're following. Because we are being transformed into his likeness. So we behave like he did. How did he do that while being reviled? He did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So we, we ought to demonstrate our hope in the workplace by behaving like him into whose image we are being transformed into. Not only in the church, but also society and workplace. Even in the family, we do the same thing. Demonstrate that hope in the family. Then he goes on to say to the wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Why? Not because they are so great or they are so good, they are so nice or they are so uh, pious. In fact, he is talking about the wife to submit yourself to unbelieving husbands. 
Why? Because without you, there is no hope for that person. Where do they look for hope? The closest they can have is the wife. Why should we behave like that? Because we are demonstrating the hope that we have. Not because we are inferior to that person, because we are already know that God is destined us for the adoption as his children, as sons. So we are not afraid. Again, Peter says, not because you're scared of your husband or, or anyone that is uh, frightened by any fear, but we honor God. Just like the Son of God, who is equal in essence and value to God the Father, submitted himself in order to fulfill the purpose and plan of God. Similarly, he tells husbands, now how should they behave? Honor your wives. Why? Because she is a fellow heir of the grace of life. Just like you are being transformed into the likeness of God, she is also being transformed into the likeness of God. One day, we are all would be at the equal footing in the presence of God. But why then Paul helps us in Ephesians chapter 5, right? Just as Christ loved the church, so you must love your wives. You see, every citizen is exhibit, or the believers as the citizens, we exhibit the hope that we have. Wives, they demonstrate the hope that they have. Husbands demonstrate the hope that they have. And when we demonstrate this hope everywhere, whether in church, your society, your workplace, or home, what happens? People will begin to ask the reason for the hope that is in you. And that brings up opportunity to bring gospel to them. When we share the gospel, and when God visits them, either they will be saved, or if they continue in that rebellious attitude, they will be put to shame one day. See, that is the hope that we must demonstrate every moment of our lives. We are the only hope in this world. There is no other hope in this hopeless world. We ought to demonstrate that hope. In order to demonstrate that hope, we must be sure have confidence about that hope. May the Lord enable us to resolve in our minds today to make that resolution, to fix our hope completely on the grace that is going to be revealed at the appearance of Jesus Christ and enable us to demonstrate that hope in every day of our life. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God of hope, may you please fill our hearts with joy and the hope so that we may demonstrate who we are in this world so that to bring glory and honor to your name and 
be a channel of blessing and salvation to many around us. We commit ourselves into your loving hands. We ask this in Jesus' name.